As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Parenting Beyond the Headlines. I'm Sarah Cody here with my friend, Amy Alomar. Hi there. Welcome back to the show. We're Really happy to have you with us. We hope this finds you healthy and well. And today we're going to continue our conversation about talking to families about race and racism. And also we're gonna talk about the news stories we're seeing about taking down statues, sometimes uh, in protest and sometimes you know, with thought through the government. And uh, we are so happy to be welcomed by Dr. Danielle Cooper. She's an assistant professor of criminal justice at the University of New Haven. And we're so grateful to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you both so much for having me this afternoon. Yeah, welcome. You know, doctor, we did another um, podcast about this and it, clearly everyone is in agreement that this topic is so important that we need to keep mm -hmm. talking about it. Comment first about what we focused on in our last episode. Where would you begin the conversation with kids um, about what's been going on in our country lately, the George Floyd murder, um, the subsequent protests? And we do understand from our last podcast that you know, silence is the worst thing to do and that these discussions should begin early. I think it's very important to start with asking questions, right? Um, young children, especially, but even as they get older into adolescence, right, they're very impressionable, right? And so you can just ask them, what are their thoughts? What are they hearing? You know, how are they experiencing these things? And that really gives them a chance to put it in their own language um, versus you asking them to tell them, like, are they afraid? Are you asking them to tell, like, that's very specific language. And so if you find open-ended questions that really start the conversation um, and that builds their comfort and that like eases them, then you'll often find that they have 
made quite a lot of observations well beyond what you are even thinking that they're paying attention to. A lot of people express surprise by how observant children are, or what they're picking up on, even though they might not have the same language that we have as adults to communicate about it. So I think, uh, especially if you haven't had the conversation before, then asking those questions is really important because otherwise you don't know where to dive in and you don't know what adjustments or like resources are most helpful to your child or who you're talking to. We like to be really user friendly. I mean, what kind of questions would you dive in with? Have you thought about racism? Do you know what racism is? Where do you begin the conversation? Well, uh, specifically thinking about uh, if you are talking with a child who is themselves a person of color, themselves maybe a black child, right? You might ask them about their experiences because um, the, the, the acknowledgement is that many of them do experience what is um, a valuing uh, of, of, of what is lighter skin or white and what is a devaluing of darker skin or, or black. And so they may already be picking up on what are societal biases. They, they might feel excluded from simple activities. They might feel like their teacher isn't very nice to them or that they don't see very many people that look like themselves. Um, but even with all children and having this conversation um, I think softer language is better, and the more that they show you maturity, then, then you should move and match their maturity. But I think it's better to start with language like um, do you, about fairness, right? About you know, well, about sharing, right? And and that's different but similar in, in like the more complex conversation about equity or about justice or you know, but is in language like they know that you know if you have crackers and no one shares any crackers with them that makes them sad right and so how can you put it in a context for them because there's a lot of harm and hurt and so then the parent has to be um honest with themselves about like what level of conversation is their child ready for uh because a lot of this yields a very um very hurt emotions, right? When you when you have to come to peace with the fact that um, you're not valued in history, or you come to peace with the fact that you're not someone who someone thinks should be in this occupation, or um, people would want to discriminate against you and not want to be your friend. All of those things have a context for children. And so once again, helping them get the, those answers will help them really understand and help you hear their voice, which is, I think, valuable. Thank you. I imagine this is, is a conversation. I know when we've talked about sexual assault, you know, we've been given the advice, talk early and often about consent in a similar way that you're talking about equity. Like the conversation can be, you know, may I borrow this? Uh, can I take this off your plate? You know, may I have a French fry, that kind of thing. Um, and I wonder in talking about this, I mean, you're really opening up a conversation about advocacy um, and we hear the word ally and we've heard it associated with other movements and that's becoming a bigger word now. Um, and I wonder, you know, if you have comments or suggestions about, you know, maybe older children, but also younger with parents um, about participating yeah. in advocacy and um, there's some self-advocacy, right? And also being an ally or an advocate of others. Can you comment on that? 
I would say the important part of advocacy is action and that action has many levels, right? And so what is the action that you feel comfortable with your kids? Do you want to put them in the wagon and take them with you to the daytime protest? Do you want to have them write signs to people who are in a nursing home? Do you want them to write thank you letters to people who are in the medical field? Like there are just so many layers of engagement and the important message is about others, right? And a de-centering of self, helping your child in a day-to-day -day basis realize the value of another human being is a very important, most base level, right? So it's kind of a high level thing about like, well, how do we help them understand that not every person is treated fairly? Well, the lower level piece is that everyone should be treated fairly. That's that's just humanity, right? That's a, and, and as we move from the different ages, there are things that are of interest to them and ways to challenge them um, to make contributions to society that um, lift up someone else, lift up their spirit, provide someone else an opportunity. And, and I think that's an important lesson, like you said, that's very early on. The smallest of child can still be selfless, right? The smallest of child can still make a contribution. And you wanna model that for them and help them find places and spaces to learn that skill and get comfortable. Do you see this recent movement um, really involving kids? I do. I see a lot of teens turning out at the protests, a lot of kids talking about it. And what do you think that does? Do you think that just teaches a lesson that will hopefully take advocacy and take speaking out um, for your beliefs into their adulthood? Is this a time that's giving some power to kids? Youth voice is often a voice that is muffled by society. You know, we say, oh, well, they're not old enough yet. They don't have enough experience. But often it's also the voice of purity. It's the voice that says, this is a structure that doesn't make sense. This is a structure that doesn't work for me. There are changes that need to be made. I don't have the same commitment to flawed tradition that you might have. And so it's really powerful, I think, on one hand, a checks and balance. Those of us who are older, who then think of ourselves in a more traditional sense, we have different things to lose because they're brought into those structures. The, the, the young people have the opportunity to really allow us to evaluate ourselves, but also for us to be advocates and, and allies to them, right? How do we pause and create spaces the same as we would when we think about other types of discrimination? How do we in the room say, has anyone let the young person speak? Has anyone inclusive of that voice? Because they've, they've really shown us a boldness and they've shown us um, a lot of creativity about how they plan to move this moment forward in a pandemic in 2020 and so forth. Yeah. And that's thinking, that's including the youth voice, as you're saying, and what's important to that generation. It's also thinking about the world that they're going to be growing old in and what we're giving them. Yeah, they are very... Um, and this is not just young children, of course, because, but as we look at into the young adults, there's a clear indicator that many of the institutions that we have, church, uh, the educational institution and religion, um, these are things that young people are saying, how does this serve me? especially if it is discriminatory against me, especially if it wants me to feel bad about who I am, especially if it isn't helping me gain self-esteem, it isn't encouraging me about that other and that selflessness, and it's harming, you know, what they think 
is their contributions to society. And so we're seeing a lot more stirring, right? Of like, are you gonna get in line with these young people? They're, they're a population and a force to be reckoned with for sure. That's yeah, good. absolutely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know that um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the statues coming down and sort of how you know, they've been taught something in in history, right? <laughs> history class, we've been taught to use statues as monuments and things to look toward, to learn from. And I wonder about, you know, this movement to remove some and what that says about, you know, this, this particular moment in time and also what we are teaching our kids and how to talk about it with them. Part of what is upsetting about the statues is that in many instances, they're a glorification and a representation of, once again, the devaluing specifically of Black lives. And in talking with children, that's much more of a mouthful than what you might need to say to them. I would start with them with the base point about history, right? Someone had to capture this narrative and that person's perspective has been captured. However, we've started to get more narratives and we've started to get more stories and we've started to shift because our understanding is shifting, our approach to humanity is shifting, our need to elevate stories that actually bring people together as opposed to stories who elevate stories that minimize people. Um, and I would just say the, the, the simplest point I think to make is that if there are statues is that person the best statue that we could have? Aren't there many other stories that deserve to be valued? And how can we create equity in that space? It's the same as if only one child got to speak in class. It's the same as if the teacher only picked on one student. And so in this instance, we're trying to amplify the value of diversity. There are so many people who we'd like to honor and see them. And we see this not only shifting in the statues, but we see this shifting in other spaces. We see this shifting in um, who we put on things like uh, postage stamps. We see this uh, shifting on how we honor people with lifetime achievements or induct them into halls of fame. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we put more stories that represent the, the full breadth of the American 
history in that um, that narrative. Do you see it changing curriculum? I mean, we've we've done stories in the past few weeks of um, a Francis Scott Key who wrote the national anthem um, statue, you know, being a, a point of contention. Thomas Jefferson certainly is. Christopher Columbus, we know. I mean, do you see this time really changing some curriculum and history books that our kids use in school? I do hope so. Um, I can admit that it is not easy to change curriculum. And so I think the other piece to your question about like how might it be important to talk to your child about these things is the world is going to offer them something. And the home has a different duty to offer them things and to continue to help them challenge what they are experiencing when they're out in the world. And they might experience disagreement and they might experience conflict, but we, we are tasked as the adult in the situation with providing them a level of stability so they're not rocked every time they find out something new or something in contrast to what they thought. Um, and if we provide them a more steady foundation to, to let them know that there's a, a high chance that the information isn't all and that we want to increase their skepticism and that's about all things not just about who is in the statues we want them to be skeptical about the information that they're receiving from the news we want them to think and read more books on a topic because there's so much more to gather and so I think the baseline is we want them to be hungry for information but we also want to explain to them that it's okay to make mistakes and to correct them some of these statues we shouldn't have put up and now we're taking them down because we're making a corrective action on purpose. I know this is a podcast, but I'm sort of nodding with yeah, <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm because I've learned that as a, as a person, as a parent right now, like I've had to really show a lot of my own vulnerability and ignorance um, in the conversations. I, I mentioned to you earlier, my son is studying your, your line of work and, you know, he and my other two have really helped me have the conversations about, you know, me just having to say, wow, I didn't know that, right? Or I wonder why that's important. And I've, I've asked some questions that, you know, um, otherwise I, as a parent, might've felt like I had to kind of step down and show some ignorance, but I, I felt sort of empowered by asking them and learning from them and sort of entering into it with an unknown right answer. Um, because until we do that, I think we won't learn. Um, and to even acknowledge that there's like a whole history out there, you know, of course I knew, right? I knew there was a canon we were taught, um, you know, for English class. And I knew there were things that, you know, were told from one perspective, but I never uh, knew all the questions to ask. I still don't know. Um, no. But I love the way you're saying that because I think um, it takes a, a little bit of courage. I don't know if that's that's maybe putting too much on it. <laughs> but as a parent, it takes a little bit of courage to step outside your comfort zone and really ask those questions with your kids present and try to get the answers or be comfortable with the fact that we may not have them. Well, it was resonating with me what you were saying too, because I'm in my mid forties and I feel like that sort of notion of skepticism wasn't what we were raised with. You know, it was more sort of a, this is fact and this isn't true. This is uh, one way and this is the other. Where really you learn as you get older and life goes on that there's a lot of gray area that takes exploring and it's interesting and you find stuff in that gray area. Um, I think also just when you find that stuff and you realize then it, the value of it now, then think about the value of it 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And then, then our role is to advocate for our children, right? Then our role is to say, okay, how much European history does one need to know? And how harmful is it that they don't know these parts of American history? And there has to be a reconsideration of balance in that because in the past, it has not been thought to be harmful 
that they do not get this education. But the reality is, is that we're forced into ignorance, right? If we're not offered these things, we don't know to search for these things, how would we know? And now we're kind of all being thrust into like the front of this conversation. Um, and it doesn't matter your age, everyone's uncomfortable. Everyone is learning something new. Uh, I take it as a challenge to, to learn something new. And I, I think it's also even an activity to engage in with your kids. What are we learning new today? Um, what's something that we didn't know yesterday or what's something that we thought we knew and now we wanna dig in deeper about? Because the, the, it, the reality is as you move from early kindergarten all the way through high school, you learn something more and more and more and more and it builds on it. And we just need to build more than what we have. And we need to also be more truthful about what is included and whether or not it needs to stay there. Tell us a little bit about you as we begin to wrap up here. Is it the Toe Youth Justice it's Institute? Tau. Yep. Tell us about you and your work with that institute. So I, in addition to being an assistant professor of criminal justice, um, also serve as the director of research at the Tau Youth Justice Institute. And we are just recently celebrating five years. We started in 2014 uh, and I started in 2015 uh, at the University of New Haven. And the, the, the Tau is really focused on youth justice reform, right? So we have what is called a juvenile justice policy oversight committee in the state of Connecticut. That's basically, I like to think of it as a Knights of the Round Table. All types of interested parties and key stakeholders, whether they are part of the actual juvenile or criminal justice system or their additional complementary parties like, uh, you know, the Bureau of Labor or, you know, victims advocates or, you know, all types of people come together and discuss the welfare of children in the state of Connecticut every third Thursday of the month on pretty much it's aired on CTN as long as there's availability. And our goal is to uh, in, inform that reform. And my goal is to uh, advance research that informs that, that reform work. What, what gave you that, um, that mission? What drove you to this work? Well, um, I was originally living in Florida in 2015 as I was completing my PhD. Um, my work at that time uh, was focused on really how young adults are experiencing uh, different conflicts with parent, teacher, supervisors, and the police. And when I heard um, and met my, uh, my executive director, William Carbone, when I heard what was happening in Connecticut, the opportunity for reform, right? Um, the frequent conversation, the acknowledgement and need for evidence-informed practices. Um, I, when I was invited to come, I took that opportunity um, and it's been a good five years. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this has given us a lot of uh, good information and some strong strategies to start with and uh, or continue with, hopefully. Um, and we really appreciate your time. And listener, thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you will uh, continue to listen to Parenting Beyond the Headlines. Like us, follow us, send us suggestions. You can find us at parentingbeyondtheheadlines.com. And I'm at Amy Alomar on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> I am at Sarah Cody Media on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, Dr. Cooper, where, where can we find more out about you and your work? I'm at Prevention Danny on Twitter. All right. That's a good handle. I like it. And thank you so much for spending time with us. This was a fascinating conversation. And listener, we will spend time with you again. Be in touch. Have a good day.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.